Hey, I want to introduce you to a, uh, our guest speaker today and a couple things about him. So his name is Matt, Matt Tucker. Um, the, the first thing you need to know about him is that he has been one of Chad's best friends for decades. So they've known each other since junior high. Does that sound right? Um, so that tells me quite a bit about Matt, um, that he's been friends with Chad for this long. Um, it tells me he's like patient, but also like a glutton for punishment. Um, he's got a little bit of both of those going on, but he's a, he's a senior pastor in his own right. And uh, he is going to share with us today. So a big hand for Matt Tucker. Well, good morning. So glad to be here uh, this morning as uh, Chad and I. Actually, it's probably before junior high. I mean, I think probably from the crib in many ways. You know, I think I'm a year older, but I have more hair. All right? So, uh, but whenever we get to see each other, and it's not very often... You're smiling. That's all right. You already paid me. That's okay. We're good to go. But uh, um, it's just not enough. You know, we tend to be a little bit busy on the on the weekends and at times. So it's been four years, actually, since I've been here last, but uh, grateful to be here. I'm so glad that we were able to uh, kind of participate and celebrate together in communion. Um, not only is it a remembrance, I like to tell people this when it comes to communion, it helps us to remember correctly because we have a memory problem, don't we? We tend to remember the things that we should forget and we tend to forget the things that we should remember and that's why Jesus established that with his, with his disciples. Do this in remembrance of me because we have a memory issue. When we come back to what it all means, Jesus' the sacrifice on the cross, the resurrection, and it brings us all together. Not only is it about what Jesus is, but also it's, it's this oneness this oneness in Christ that we all have, no matter who you are, no matter what nation, tribe, tongue, no matter, uh, it's the same spirit and it's the same Lord, it's the same Savior. And I was so uh, encouraged last night when I knew that we were going to do communion because um, I come from a very different church than this. Um, I mentioned last night that uh, the church that I pastor, it's in a small town and it's, it's very much blue collar. And I kind of came from a different setting, and I came to this church, and, and uh, it's definitely unusual. I call it the, the Church of Misfit Toys, you know, and that's pretty much what it is. And we've got people, we break all the rules when it comes to how you're supposed to do church. We have people that are, that are very successful. It's about an hour south of Indianapolis. And we have people who are um, kind of use uh, Martinsville, this is where, the, where I'm from or where I pastor, as a bedroom community either to Bloomington, Indiana or, or Indianapolis. And so we just have some really successful people. But yet at the same ta- time, the, the, the town is very poor. It is very, very much kind of a redneck, you know, type of a town, southern Indiana. And so you'll have somebody who's, who's a professional sitting right next to somebody who just got out of jail, you know. And so it's just kind of an eclectic, you know, type of gathering of people. And it's an adventure, you know, every single Sunday. I could tell you stories. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a couple, right? Um, I could tell you stories there. There was a, a greeter. You know how you have greeters who pass out bulletins and stuff, programs when you come in? Well, there's a greeter I had to tell, I appreciate your service and I appreciate your heart, but you need to wear a shirt. And it would be, be good. You know, he had bib overalls on, the, the denim tank top looks, not, not in, you know. And I had a sound guy one time, and, and uh, as I'm preaching... He's there, and he's got a coffee cup, and I think he's drinking coffee, you know, from the, you know, church or whatever. 
you know, spinach chew in there, you know, stuff like this. And so, you know, I, I'm distracted, you know, when, when I'm, he's back there in the soundboard doing this. But we've just got a, we've got a, a great, I wouldn't trade it, you know, for the world. But it's just, it's a different adventure. Once you see him, you think you've seen it all. There's just something that happens that's, that's different. And so encouraged that uh, as I was talking to Chad this past week and talking about how you guys are walking through the book of, of 1 Samuel and how you had a replica, you know, of the Ark of the Covenant. And I was able to see it. It's actually backstage. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, they've been able to bring it out. And what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's really a physical manifestation of the invisible God. And, and God really, uh, he allowed that type of a thing to occur. My presence will dwell on the Ark. Really to teach his people, how are you to function in my presence? When you function well, and there's all kinds of rules, and there's all kinds of regulations, this is how you are to transport the Ark of the Covenant. This is how you are uh, to, to, to place it and position it in the tabernacle or, the, or eventually the temple. And, and all of this was to prepare God's people. This is how you are to function with my presence. When you function correctly, when you're conducting yourself, when you, when you have the right heart, really, then think my presence is going to be a blessing in your life. But when you don't, it's going to be kind of a, a heavy hand. And we actually are going to see that this morning. Now, if you're familiar with where we've been or where you have been for the last couple of weeks, and I've been had a privilege of just kind of getting on your website and, and listening to the last couple of Sundays. And, and if you've been kind of tracking, God's people are not in a good place, are they? In fact, it's a 300-year spiral, downward spiral that we see in the book of Judges. And if you're familiar with the book of Judges, I mean, God was very clear with his people. As long as you follow me, as long as you worship me, and as long as you do what I say, things will go well. So as you enter into the promised land, I want you as, uh, as a punishment for the people there to, to conquer the people, to push them out. But if you start to copy them, if you start to copy their practice, if you, if you start to copy their morality, if you start to uh, copy their, their gods and bring their gods into your homes, the people that you're called to conquer, you copy, they're going to conquer you. And so all through the book of Judges, we see this downward spiral. God's people, they rebel against the Lord. They start to be envious of the other nations that are around them. And they start to, they start to copy their practices, adopt their gods. And God is very, you know, he keeps his promises. I'm going to lift my hand of protection. And you're going to be conquered by the people that you're called to conquer, right? You copied them. And so this downward spiral occurs, and that's where you get these really cool stories, because every once in a while, they'll come to their senses, and they'll cry out, deliver us, God, we're sorry, we're so sorry. And this is where you get the stories of Gideon and Samson and Ehud, the left-handed judge, and all these incredible stories in the book of Judges. But they continue this downward spiral of rebellion, and then rescue, and repentance, and then they go back to their old ways, and to where you get to the last story or the last couple chapters in the book of Judges, and it is, I won't even mention what it is. It's horrible. God's people are actually worse than the people that are around them. It's an, they're killing one another. The priests are corrupt. I mean, it is, it is a horrible story. And then enters, here comes First Samuel, you know, and after this 300-year downward spiral and God's people are being persecuted by the Philistines. Are you familiar with the Philistines? In the book of Judges, Samson had all these problems with a couple of Philistine ladies, right? And, you know, eventually David, he would have his own problems with a big giant, a guy by the name of Goliath. These are all the Philistines. 
But they're being persecuted by the Philistines and they're being, they're being just, they're, they're a thorn in their flesh. And so they get this idea in their head. What we're going to do, we're going to kind of rally our troops together. We're sick of this. We're, we're going to go out and we're going to fight, you know, the Philistines. And so they gather kind of an army together and they go out and they do that. And they suffer a horrible defeat. In fact, the, the scripture tells us 4,000 fighting soldiers perished in that. And so they're discouraged and they said, you know what, this is not working. This hasn't worked for 300 years. And so they go back in their history and they start to hear the stories and they remember the stories of what they've been told by their ancestors, that there was a guy by the name of Joshua who would go out in battle. And when he would take the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence before him, he was undefeatable. The army of Israel is undefeatable. In fact, there was one occasion he walked around a city that had huge walls and he did it for a week. And then the last day he did it for seven times and they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. We need to go back to those days. And so they started rallying the troops. In fact, they they spread the message far and wide of all the disconnected tribes of Israel at that time. And we are going to get back to our roots. God is going to go before us. The Ark of the Covenant, we're going to dust it off. And we're going to go, and here's our common enemy, the Philistines. We all know how much of a pain they are. And so we are just, we're going to go out into battle with them, and we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant before us. And it's just going to be like the good old days, right? And so they do this. And the Philistines, they hear that they're doing this, and they've heard the stories too. And they start to tremble, and they start to fear. But when the actual battle actually occurs, the Philistines again are victorious. It's In fact, it's not just 4,000 people that they lose, 30,000 people that they lose. This is such a horrible defeat that Eli, who is the high priest at the time, a messenger comes to him to tell them and deliver this message. Not only is it a a lopsided victory in favor of the Philistines, 30,000 soldiers perish, but also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were very corrupt, but they were the priests of the Lord. They died. And not only that, but the Ark of the Covenant, where they believed, you know, God's, this is God's presence. And and this is their mark of distinction. You know, God is always with us, right? Was captured by the Philistines. So when Eli hears this news about his sons and about the 30,000 people that died or soldiers that, that perished in this battle, and when he hears ultimately, you know, that the, the ark of the, God's presence is now with our enemies, he falls back in his chair, breaks his neck, and he dies. Things aren't good. It's bad, right? To make things worse, there is a wife of one of the, the priests, Hopfi or Phineas, I forget which one. She goes into premature labor and she gives birth. She actually dies while, um, you know, at, on the birth table kind of a thing. And, but she gives birth to a son and this is what she names her son, Ichabod, right? And if you're familiar with that, what that means, it means the glory has departed. And that just pretty much sums up everything, right? 30,000 people died. Eli, the high priest, died. Hophni and Phinehas dies. The, the, the wife of one of the priests died. Ichabod is his name. And the big kicker would be the Ark of the Covenant is now, you know, with our enemies. That's about as low as you can get, right? And this is where we're actually going to be opening up here this morning. But the whole point is this. God is about to do something incredible. 
He is positioning himself in order to create havoc and destruction to gain victory over the Philistines. And he's going to do it all by himself. He's not going to allow the Israelites to participate in this because he knew his people. He knew that they would find a way to take credit of this. And so we're going to read in just a moment here, 1 Samuel chapter 5, God's presence in the temple of the Philistine God. We're going to read it in just a moment. God takes the field. He doesn't need any help. In fact, he's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. And so he, is, he has them right where he wants them. They think they have him right where they want him. God has them right where he wants them. So if you have your Bible, why don't you go ahead and open it up. 1 Samuel chapter 5 also will be on the screen here behind me. Let me just read this. Notice how many times the word hand is mentioned. They wanted God's presence. But when your heart's not right, when you're not conducting yourself correctly, just like the Israelites did not conduct themselves correctly in handling God's presence, the Philistines are about to repeat the sin. And because of that, God's presence was going to seem very heavy-handed. So here we go. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And this is a Philistine god. If you go back to the book of Judges, this was a, a god where, where, where Samson was in, um, not this temple, in this city, another temple in another city. And he, he remember, he pushed the pillars and the whole temple came, same god kind of a fish god, more of a, not a fertility god, but a prosperity type of a god. Looks like Admiral Akbar, you know, from the Star Wars series, if you can remember. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. You think you might get a hint of what's going on. You take the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Israelite God. Here's his presence. Everybody knows this is where he dwells. You put it in a place of submission to your God. And guess what your God does? Topples over. Should have took the hint, right? But they didn't. And so when they arose, so they put Dagon Dagon back on its place again. And when they rose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. This is the second time. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord, you see, when your heart is not right... God's presence in your life, you're going to see the heavy hand of his discipline. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us. When your heart's not right, God's presence, he's not going to be used. This is the issue here. The Israelites believed they could just use God without getting their heart right. God will just go before us because we have this this idea of what's going to make us happy. and, And we have this common enemy of the Philistines. And so we will use God as a means to an end. And God says, no, 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 I'm the end in itself. And here the Philistines are doing the same thing. They put their God in a place of submission to their God. We will just use God to accomplish whatever we feel is going to make us happy and content. God will not be placed in a position of submission. 
And so here both Ashdod and its territory. When the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? You see, bad things are happening when your God's heads and hands are popping off. All right? What shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And the answer, let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. And so they kind of gather all these mayors, in a sense, or rulers of these Philistine cities. Obviously, the guy from Gath wasn't there, right? <laughs> Let's send it away. And so they, send, they carried the ark of God of Israel away. So it was, after they had carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great or young and old. And tumors broke out on them. So now it's no longer just contained to the temple of Dagon. Now it's a cancer. When your heart's not right, when God is not seated on the throne of your heart, you're going to see his hand and it's going to spread if you don't deal with it. Therefore they sent the ark of God. This is the third city it's went to now. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the ark of God of Israel to kill us. Remember, this is what they wanted to capture. Now, now they can't, they can't, they're not going to quite send it away yet to, to the Israelites, but, but uh, let's just send it to these various, they're trying to manage it. Isn't that interesting? They've brought the ark of God of Israel to kill us, to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. They call another committee meeting. What are we going to do now? Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there. God took the field, didn't he? Single-handedly. Didn't need his people. Why? Because his people will somehow find a way to take credit for it. His presence alone, without their heart being right, they didn't experience the blessing of his presence. They, they experienced the heaviness of his, of his hand, didn't they? And all the men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Now, if you have your bulletin this morning, here's a few things that we're going to point out. But if there's one thing that I want you to remember here this morning, it's this. It's sort of a key thought, and here it is. If God is not seated on the throne of your heart, if your heart's not right, and that was the issue with the Israelites, and that was the issue with the Philistines, if God is not seated on the throne of your heart, if you want to experience the blessing of his presence, you better get your heart right. Because if your heart isn't right, you'll experience the heavy hand of his discipline, and it will be seen in every scene of your life. Isn't that what we see? In the scripture that we just read, in every city, when their heart wasn't right, in fact, even when it was with the Israelites, when their heart wasn't right, what happened? The presence of God actually turned in more of, of a heavy hand, of a heavy hand of discipline. So we're going to unpack some of this here this morning. So if you continue with your, your notes or with your sermon notes or, or, or teaching notes, here's, here's number one. Here's what we can learn. The hand of God is supreme in every situation. Let me read the scripture again. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it in two. This is about placing the ark, God's presence, in a position of submission to their God. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face 
before the ark of the Lord. Their God was exposed as being inferior because God will, he will not allow himself to be placed in a position of submission. He must be placed in a position of supremacy. And that's in your life as well. If you kind of think God is going to be an add-on or a means to an end and not the end in himself, if you think you can kind of use God for whatever your version of success is, you will experience the heaviness of his hand. And so when they woke up and their God is just, you know, fallen down before the Ark of the Covenant, what do they do? Well, let's try it again, right? Let's just try it again. And so we read that they take Dagon and they set it on its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground, again in submission before the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off. So what's being said here? Some of you, I'm sure, have probably seen the news, right? And sometimes you, these Middle Eastern countries, you've seen it on CNN or you've seen it on Fox News or whatever, right? Oftentimes there will be a Middle Eastern ISIS or whatever. They'll capture somebody and they'll cut off their head. They'll videotape it and they'll cut off the head. Why? What's the message they're sending? We're in charge, right? We are superior. We're going to humiliate you. Also in some Middle Eastern countries, even today, if somebody is caught stealing, what do they do? They cut off their hands. Why? It's kind of difficult to steal after you cut off somebody's hands, right? And so what is the message that God is sending here? I will not be placed in a position of submission. Your God is incapable of doing whatever you think your God's going to do. It is about the issue of rule. Who's your ruler? In fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis, and this is going to be so difficult for you to accept because everything in our culture says the opposite. And here's what I'm going to say, and it's it's going to strike you and you're going to go, I don't know about that, Matt. If you are a created being, which we are, we are made to be ruled. There will be a ruler in your life. The idea of self-rule is a fallacy. It's a lie. We are made to be ruled, just like in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were made to be ruled by the Lord. And under the Lord's rule, and what was the rule? Don't eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do it, your eyes will be open and you're surely going to die, right? But under God's rule, there was freedom. In fact, they were free to eat of any tree in the garden except for that one. Why? Because God is your ruler. And there's perfection and there's relationship and there's purpose and there's, there's joy and there's pleasure. There's, there's all these things under God's rule. Why? Because God, when he's your ruler, not only is he your ruler, but he loves you. But the oldest lie in the scriptures, isn't it? You can rule yourself. And so when you walk outside of God's rule and when they bit literally into that lie, right, the fruit, their eyes were opened. They thought God was keeping them from something. We can rule ourselves. We can rule ourselves better than God. We've got got some plans here, our version of success, whatever it may be. But you know, as soon as that happened, what does the scripture tell us? Immediately they're ruled by what? They're ruled by shame. What do they do? A little fig leaf bikini. What's going on, right? You know, they they were ruled by guilt and fear. They went and they hid. And they started playing the blame game. They're ruled. In fact, when you look at the scripture, this is the whole point. God said, if I'm not your ruler, you're going to be ruled by these other nations. 
And so when, when they were in a right position, when their heart was right, when God was in a place of supremacy and not in a place of submission, when God was their ruler, boy, they had experienced prosperity and purpose and all these type of things. But when they exchanged God as the ruler for another ruler, we see all these Hivites, Jebusites, mosquito bites, all these people come in, right? and they would rule. It's the issue of rule. And today is the same thing. You probably have heard at times, you know, if you've been here for any certain amount of time or been a Jesus follower for any number of years, we all struggle with the small g gods in our life. Those things that that rule us if we're not careful. You can be ruled by greed. You can be ruled by money. You can be ruled by your past. You can be ruled by shame. You can be ruled by a substance. You can be ruled by a person. That person can be dead or, or living. You can be ruled by, by fear that, that perhaps something will be exposed in your life because you're, you know, the most important thing is your reputation. And you're exchanging God who loves you as your ruler for something that doesn't love you and in fact will destroy you if you let that continue to rule, you know, in your life. And the solution is you better place God in the position of supremacy and not in a position of submission. Because if he's placed in a position of submission, even if you are able in some way to meet whatever your expectation is of what you think success or happiness is, even if by the slight chance that you actually are able to obtain this, what's going to happen? Your God will be exposed for what it is, incapable of trying to accomplish what you think is going to accomplish in your life. And we see this in this temple of Dagon, don't we? God is not messing around. He's not playing games. Heads are going to roll. Hands are going to come off. Your God will not be able to do what you think your God is going to do. Place yourself under my rule. If you want to experience the glory of my presence and purpose and, and, and joy and peace, if you want to experience that, don't think that you can just add me to your life. I must be in a place of, of superiority, of supremacy. If you put me in a place of submission, if you think that I am a means to an end, it's not going to work out real well. Well, here's number two, because that's really convicting. We need to move on, right? Here's number two this morning is this. Not only is the hand of God supreme in every situation, but also the hand of God is affluent in every affliction. Let me read. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, look how the ball is rolling, right? The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us in Dagon, our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines, and they said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they said, send it away, right? Let the ark of God be Israel away, uh, be carried to Gath. And so they carried the ark of God of Israel away. And so it was after they had carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great or young and old, and tumors broke out. There, there's a cancer that's going on here. Do you see how the ball is rolling? It's a snowball effect. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Now, if you would back up just a verse or so before what I just read, this is what it says. If you go to the next slide, if you would, please. This is what it says. 
The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Now, the threshold is a pretty big theme in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the last plague, right, of Egypt, what they were instructed to do, to take the blood of the lamb and they take it and they, they put it on the doorposts, right? Now, we know that's a big giant arrow, you know, to Jesus that we're covered by the blood of the lamb. But they're also told to write the commandments of the Lord on the thresholds, on their doorposts. So there was something very significant about a threshold or, or a door frame that, you know, even in traditional Jewish homes today, you're not allowed to enter if you're a Gentile because it's the idea you're entering, you're entering into a belief system. It's been said that the threshold of temples separate the, the sacred from the secular. So what's the message that's being sent here? When your heart's not right, when God is not in supreme position, when, he's in a, when you place him in a, in a position of submission to you, that will not stay contained. That will not stay discontained in your heart. It will move past into your relationships. That will move in, into your, your functioning of your, of your life, into your workplace. If you don't get God right here, don't think it's just going to stay in the little temple of your heart. That cancer will spread. It will spread in your marriage. It will spread into how you parent your children. It, it will spread in your finances. It will spread in terms of, it will spread. And what do they try to do? They tried to manage it, didn't they? They tried to control it. They tried to have the best of both worlds. We're going to try to keep the presence of God, but we're going to try to control it. We'll descend it to various areas, you know, uh, different cities. But what is going on here says this. Then Dagon, both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, very interesting. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. Why? One of the reasons why God allows you to experience what we call affliction sometimes it's self-inflicted wounds. When your when your heart is not right, you start to reap what you sow. And this is not God trying to get you back. This is God trying to bring you back. One of the reasons that we have consequences when it comes to our sin is that God is saying, I'm going to make you miserable. And you're going to, you're going to understand that when you are miserable, you just, you need to get, you need to get right. You need to repent. You need to come back. I will allow you to experience the reaping of what you're sowing in your life. It's going to spread. You're going to realize you can't control this. You can't manage this. You can't, you can't try to you know, manipulate this. It, it will spread into the areas of your life. And when you see the hand of affliction, because of your walking outside of God's rule, that should woo you back, woo you back. One of the reasons why we experience afflictions in our life is because God is allowing us to get a picture of this, right? But what do they do? Here's the picture. It's spread, but the reminder they have is this. So this is why they, no one who comes into Dagon's house treads on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So what do, they, what do they mean? Here they have this reminder of what happened. They're not handling God's presence correctly. It is spread. Here's the reminder, the threshold, the hands went on the threshold. And so they just do this. They skip over it. We refuse to acknowledge it. Are you experiencing affliction in your life right now as a result of something that you know is just out of whack? 
Don't ignore the signs. Don't ignore the hand of the Lord. Don't ignore the thresholds, right? Now, not every affliction is, is a result of uh, us, you know, in sin. Sometimes affliction can just be a part of, of living in this broken world. You know, the Apostle Paul experienced affliction, didn't he? He called it a thornless flesh. In fact, he prayed on three different occasions, the scripture tells us, for this thorn of this flesh, whatever it was, some physical thing to be taken from him. And yet on the third time, God says, I'm not going to take it away, even though I believe Paul was asking for this thorn to be taken away for all the right reasons, not because he just wanted to be comfortable and retire in the French Riviera. I mean, he wanted to preach more. He wanted to travel more. He wanted to be more effective for the gospel. And so he prayed, take this affliction from me. And on the third time he prayed, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, people will see my strength. There are people in your church as there are people in my church that have incredible gifts and abilities, and God is using them in in, in incredible ways. But the people that I admire most, and I'm sure you have this in your church as well, I have it in my church, are the people that I, my heroes, are the ones that have afflictions in their life, not that they brought them upon themselves, but they're handling it in a God-honoring way. They're coming in every single Sunday, and I know what they've, what they've faced during the week. I know what's going on in their body. I know what's going on in their family. I know what's going on in their finances. And they come in, and they say, they're not bitter. They're not angry. And they're saying, God is my God, and I will praise him in the good and the bad. May the name of the Lord be praised. And they are just operating with honor. And just like the Apostle Paul, he is a gifted guy, wasn't he? But yet I I think that as people watched and observed how he handled that thorn in his flesh, the way that he handled that spoke just as loud as any sermon, any teaching that he ever taught or any preached or any letter that he ever wrote. As they watched how in this weakness and this affliction, he handled it with honor and God's strength was seen. And there are people, the biggest heroes in my life, or the people that I know are experiencing an affliction, and yet you see God's grace in a greater measure in their life of how they're handling that affliction. Because all of us want to operate in our gifts and our abilities, don't we? We all want to cross that goal line like Tim Tebow and spike the ball. You know, we all want to do that. That's awesome. It's a different thing when we're going to suffer in our affliction, right? And God's strength is going to be seen in our weakness. Now, here's number three. This morning, what else do we learn? Is number three is this: the hand of God is consistent in every calamity. Notice how many action words are going to be on the screen behind me as I read. Therefore, they sent the reacting, the ark of God to Ekron, and so it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out another reaction, saying, "They have brought the ark of God of Israel to." to us to kill us and our people and so they sent and they gathered again it's reacting it's, they're scurrying together all the lords of the Philistines and are calling a committee meeting send the ark of God of Israel away and let it go back to its own place we're sick of it so that it does not kill us and our people for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city and the hand of God was very heavy there and the men who did not die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven The presence of God, because their hearts were not right, was bringing calamity and confusion. They were bringing that upon themselves. 
And so instead of accepting God's presence, they just, they, they opted for out of sight, out of mind. And, and they pushed God away. Very interesting, a couple of verses. Go to the next slide if you, if you would. I just want to point a couple things out. We've already read this verse. So it was after they had carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction and he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. This is how the NIV, though, translates this. But after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. And he afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. There was a panic. There was a confusion. And when your heart is not right... You may have the absence of conflict. And that's why they sent the ark of the Lord away. Peace means just the absence of conflict. And you know that's not true. How many of you can remember the Cold War, right? There wasn't conflict, but there wasn't peace. I can remember as a nine-year-old, you know, we had these tornado drills in school. But we also had the, the bomb drill. We go into the, the hallway. We had a textbook overhead. And I remember thinking at nine years old, is this really going to help me out with, you know, nuclear fallout, right? <laughs> the absence of conflict is not peace. In fact, you can have a lot of circumstances in your life all in a mess. And yet you can have peace if God is on the throne of your heart. When you look at the Apostle Paul, again, as the example, this is what he says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether naked you know, or clothed, whether free or in our prison, I have found the secret of being content in each and every sing- single situation. And it had nothing to do with the circumstances. Happiness does not depend upon our happenings. If you think that your happiness is dependent upon a bunch of circumstances like tumblers just kind of falling into place, and in order for me to be happy, this is what has to happen... Your gamble, that's a gamble, isn't it? And the likelihood that that's going to occur in various times in your life is very slim. But if it does, you still live in fear of the other shoe falling. What if we could live in such a way where our contentment and our peace had nothing to do with our circumstances lining up, but had to do with our heart? There's no peace without the Prince of Peace. And we see that these guys, didn't they? They just sent, they sent the presence of the Lord away. There's a friend of mine who's a staunch atheist. I don't have a whole lot of time here this morning as I know I'm going over, but he had everything in his life. He had successful businesses, wealth, number of homes. He was a staunch, staunch atheist. Then he started to go through a divorce. There was a, a moment of, there was a moment, I think, of clarity in his life. And I remember him talking, him and I talking, and I was saying, you know what? How are you doing? And he says, you know what? I've, I've come to this conclusion. No matter what I have, am I really, am, is my heart okay? And then quickly he dismissed it. And eventually got back on his feet with another marriage. And I remember I ran into him a couple of years ago. And he'd been married again for a couple of years. And we started up this conversation again. And he said to me, he said, he said, remember when I was going through that divorce and, you know, I, I, I had this moment of doubt that God actually might exist. I go, I remember that. I, I was hoping we could kind of grow with that. And he goes, ah, I was just desperate. I was just desperate. Right? I think he had a moment of clarity, actually. But he just moved on and he thought just the collection of stuff. 
out of sight, out of mind, the spiritual things, but I guarantee there are moments when he lays in bed and the darkness is all around him and he's not distracted by his things anymore and he thinks about, what if I would die, right? Because the truth is, it's a struggle to come in this world and it's a struggle to go out and you bring the same thing out of this world that you take in and that is absolutely nothing. And unless you get your heart right, there can be no peace doesn't matter how much you have, doesn't matter how much the tumblers of your life fall into place that you think this is what has to happen in order to make me happy. Well, here's our takeaway this morning. It's very simple. It's, it's this. Place God on the throne of your heart. It's the whole point. When you place him in a position of submission, when you think that God is a means to your end or whatever your version of success is, you're not going to experience the blessing of his presence. You're going to experience the hand of his discipline. But place God on the throne of your heart, then you will not see his heavy hand on every scene of your life. If you're experiencing affliction this morning as a result of you walking out from the rule of the Lord and you're experiencing consequences, don't just jump over the threshold. Don't ignore the signs. Understand this is God allowing you to reap what you sow, to be a little miserable, not to get you back, but to bring you back. And also understand this, no matter what, if your heart is right, you can experience affliction. And God's strength will be seen in your weakness. If your heart is right, not only is he present in every affliction, but you can have peace in every situation. The tumblers of your life don't need to fall into place. Why? Because your happiness is not based upon your happenings. Your happiness is based upon your peace because you have the prince of peace. Let's pray here this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, this really simple passage of scripture here this morning, how you took the field. Father, you claimed the victory. You didn't need any help from any of your people. (laughs) And the truth is, Father, we get to bring, we get to come into a relationship with you, not because you need us, but because you love us. We need you. And so, Lord, as we place you, I prayed this morning, this is my prayer for all of us. We all struggle with the small G-gods in our life. But yet, Father, I pray that we place you in the throne of our heart. We place you in the position of supremacy. Because if we don't, we're going to experience the heavy hand. So as we go out here this morning, Lord, may we have that reminder. May we not just dismiss it when we cross the threshold from the sacred to the secular. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Thanks, Matt. Hey, we just want to thank you for being here today at Horizon. And I hope you'll join us next week as we continue on through our series in 1 Samuel called Speak. As always, if you'd like to talk with somebody or pray, uh, feel free to stop by the hearth room, third door on the left. Have a great day.